to the Gazette's Fact Checker podcast. We're we're recording this on June 24th. It's a um, it's a, a good day in history. So I'm glad to be here with my colleagues. Um, I'm Erin Jordan. I'm the Gazette's investigative reporter. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm the Gazette's healthcare reporter. I'm John Steffi. I'm the Gazette's business reporter. I'm Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter. And three of the four of us are actually in the Gazette building um, at the same time. Um, Not in the same room because we're doing this uh, kind of remotely, but before too long, hopefully we can start recording the podcast in in person again because we're all vaccinated. Um, You know, along those lines, the the check that we're looking at today um, are some statements uh, that Governor Kim Reynolds made when she was interviewed by Sean Hannity on Fox News. This was in late May, May 26th. Um, uh, the um, Hannity had pulled together six Republican governors, um, including Governor Reynolds, to talk about various issues for a town hall meeting. But the focus of our fact check are some comments that Governor Reynolds made. Um, Sean Hannity praised Iowa's response to the COVID-19 outbreaks in Iowa's meatpacking plants and asked her to talk about it. And the first statement that we're checking is she said, my farmers and producers produce over 10% of the nation's food supplies, uh, meaning Iowa's farmers. And then she went on to talk more about the meatpacking plants. And she said, not only did we provide the PPE, but we were able to test. Those that were positive were quarantined. And then further, she said, we were able to keep up our process, keep our processing plants up and going. And I mean, and not back up hog production for our producers. So, um, you know, she was talking a little bit about uh, how important Iowa is to supplying the nation's food and um, indicating that the state had responded well and was able to keep those production um, chains moving. So looking at this claim... The first part of the claim that uh, Iowa farmers produce more than 10% of the nation's food supply. When we asked the governor's office for sourcing on this statement, they sent us a document that came from the Iowa Economic Development Authority um, that was kind of touting Iowa's strengths as a food and ingredient provider. And one of the bullet points says Iowa alone produces one eleventh of the nation's food supply and cites just says USDA 2013. So um, the IEDA's uh, analyst who covers this was out this week, but they did were able to indicate that this comes from the USDA's Economic Research Services report. Every year they add up the total cash receipts of all commodities for each state and the United States as a whole. Well, I don't know if it's all. It's 100 commodities, and it seemed pretty... Um, extensive, but I'm sure there's others, but these these are the 100 that they choose. And obviously it includes the biggies, um, corn, soybeans, hogs, cattle, um, poultry, things like that, but then, you know, smaller things too. So in 2019, the most recent year data, full year of data was available. Um, Iowa's total cash receipts for agricultural commodities was 27.4 billion and that was 7.4% of the nation's total agricultural cash receipts that year. So kind of going back a few years to see if maybe the 2013 number was higher, 
Um, it, it wasn't. Um, that year, Iowa produced 7.6% of the total agricultural receipts that year. So um, although Iowa produced a lot of the nation's food, and that is something to be proud of, it was not more than 10% had, as Reynolds had claimed. Um, I, I give her some cover because she did have this data from the Economic Development Authority, which doesn't appear to have correctly reported the USDA data. But um, I still felt like that was um, mostly wrong and um, maybe deserving of a D there. We can we can hash that point over. Do you guys want to talk about that point now before we move on to more of the meatpacking plant claims? That 111th fraction kind of puzzled me because with that number here, I'm going to pull it up in your check here, 7.6% that wouldn't even be one twelfth. So I'm a little curious how they got to one eleventh in the report. And who uses one eleventh? I mean, isn't that just like the oddest way to cite a number? I don't know. I always count my things in elevenths. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. It's such like a nebulous measure too. Like what does one eleventh of something even like look like? You know, like half a get, a fourth a get, one eleventh, that's a little... I don't know. I always cut my pies in 11 slices. <laughs> well, then you can you can visualize that for us. Yeah. Good Maybe I'm just the only one. That would be very small slices. Um, but yeah, I would agree here. I think the, the data doesn't support the claim she's trying to make here. Um, so yeah, I would count this as mostly wrong. Okay. As long as we're in agreement, I'm, I'm not hearing any opposition there. We can move on. Let's do it. So the second two claims are more closely related um, to the meatpacking industry. And so the first one, uh, Governor Reynolds says, not only did we provide the PPE, but we were able to test those that were positive were quarantined. So um, first of all, I was I was thinking about the we she uses. Um, she doesn't mean state government, like she doesn't mean Iowa Homeland Security or the National Guard delivering masks, um, you know, big bunches of masks to the meatpacking plants, although some of that might have happened early on. What I think what she's referring to is we as a state, um, and mostly that was companies. Um, these companies, Tyson, JBS, others, are the ones that are responsible for providing employees with protective equipment to stay safe on the job. So that seems like who she's talking with um, when she refers to we. So after the coronavirus, um, after people started testing positive or people started getting sick at Iowa's meatpacking plants, and this was one of the first fronts that Iowa saw COVID um, really taking a hit um, in March and April of 2020. Um, at that point, uh, you know, when when hundreds, so when so many employees were starting to get sick, that they had to like uh, reduce production or even close some facilities. Companies um, really got on the ball with adding some plastic barriers, um, kind of staggered break times, hand sanitizer, check, started checking employees' temperature and that kind of thing. But it, it, from news reports, when you go back to that time, it looks like a lot of that happened after a lot, lot, lot of people were already getting sick. Um, a Marshalltown woman who was interviewed by the Des Moines Register in May 2020, um, she lost her dad. Her dad died in an outbreak at a pork process, processing facility in Marshalltown. 
And she said she thought JBS, the operator, should have provided masks and gloves sooner. Um, when Blackhawk County Sheriff uh, Tony Thompson visited Tyson Foods' largest pork processing plant in Waterloo, this was on April 10th, 2020, um, he saw employees standing very close to one another and only about half were wearing masks. The ones who were wearing masks appeared to be ones they got from home. They were, he saw bandanas, um, like uh, torn T-shirts, an eye mask that had kind of been put down over an employee's mouth. Um, and at that point in time, April 10th, Tyson had already suspended operations at its Columbus Junction plant because of an outbreak there. And Thompson made the point that Tyson had operations in China where the virus hit first and should have known better how to protect employees from the virus. Um, so, you know, even though companies eventually did provide uh, PPE, I mean, it wasn't before thousands of employees got sick, tested positive for COVID, and, and many employees died um, in these meatpacking plants. So, um, you know, and, and in terms of uh, ramping up testing, yes, that did happen. Um, and some in, and companies did require some quarantines in some cases. Um, in other cases, you know, there might be situations where employees were sick and um, they were told they could still make a portion of their salaries if they stay ho stayed home sick, which is a good way to encourage people to actually acknowledge that they have COVID-19. Um, but still on this claim, you know, we, we went back and forth a little bit on this before the podcast today, um, but I think we settled on a D that um, it's mostly false that this, that the PPE was provided in time. Um, if, if it's provided, but it's provided way too late and only after many people have been sickened, it doesn't, it, it seems like it's a little, uh, it's too little too late. So I settled on a D for that claim based on some of your early feedback. Are we, are we good with that? Or let's talk about that. Yeah, I think the train kind of really left the station, not to use a kind of common cliche there. But when you're waiting to do these measures until a lot of people are sick, that that kind of defeats the purpose of actually taking these precautions. And you could make the argument that, okay, at that point, we didn't know as much about COVID and how it spread. But still, especially considering that point about Tyson having plants in China, I think that they really could have known what was coming to the United States. Yeah, I mean, that was a point that um, struck me is you know, we, there was so much we didn't know at that point in time. I mean, at that point in time, we really thought it was physical surfaces that were a problem. You know, the fact that people are, are keying in on gloves at that point um, indicates that there maybe wasn't as much of a sense that masks were one of the key ways to prevent spread and the social distancing as well. But I have to think that some of those lessons would have been learned abroad and maybe um, you know, Tyson and some of these multinational companies didn't communicate as well as they could have. Right. Or things like plastic barriers could have been implemented quickly. I know like PPE was really tough to get a hold of back in early, you know, March and April because everybody was looking for that. So I understand maybe where the challenges lay there. Um, you know, I, I did have a question. Do we know, did like Blackhawk County or other local public health departments or emergency management even provide PPE? I know there was some effort early on to try to get PPE out to those kind of companies that need it, but 
I didn't know, maybe is that included in Governor Reynolds' royal we in addition to the companies? I don't know. I can go back and look at news reports. I mean, that's basically the best source we have at this point. Um, I can look and see whether there were any, um, you know, mass deliveries of masks to the meatpacking plants. I, that was just a, a thing that popped into my head um, after our discussion yesterday. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think the onus is still on the companies to make sure those employees are are using the PPE that they need and are provided kind of those safety measures. So I don't I don't think that fundamentally changes the grade in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I think like from the ProPublica piece, I mean, that's where Sheriff Thompson from Black Hawk County, ProPublica and other outlets extensively reported the the kind of concerns there that they had with the plant continuing to remain open and I mean early on like Waterloo um, particularly because of like so many um, people in their community being employed at the plant um, you know COVID was spreading there quite a bit Um, so just all that early reporting shows the kind of conditions at the plant that people were concerned about and of course as we've discussed um, you know kind of what we knew about the virus at the time could have been shaping Um, you know, how officials responded to the plant. But I think, you know, we can safely say with um, reporting from organizations like ProPublica and um, even some of the legal challenges that have emerged um, surrounding like workers' safety and, you know, the conditions that they were working in, um, you know, all that has emerged since then kind of casts enough doubt on these claims that um, you know, people were immediately quarantined and had sufficient PPE. And I think the um, another thing that struck me is, so when Sheriff Thompson visited the plant in Waterloo, it was April 10th of 2020, and he saw the conditions that he saw. Well, four days earlier, April 6th, is when the Columbus Junction plant had to be, um, operations had to be suspended because they had so many sick employees. And granted, we didn't know everything about how the virus was virus was transmitted, um, and they might have thought, um, you know, well, it's 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 down there in Columbus Junction, but you know, not up here. Um, but also another thing, I didn't put this in the fact check, but I thought thought it was interesting is that um, uh, Thompson talked with a lot of employees at Waterloo, and they were actually from Columbus Junction, so like a contractor who was um, working for Tyson had brought employees, potentially those that weren't already sick, brought them from Columbus Junction to work at the Waterloo plant, which they could have potentially been infected, but had not shown symptoms yet and could have then passed it on to Waterloo, which now we think of that and we're like, oh my gosh, how could you have done that? Um, but I know some of that also happened in the Iowa's prison system when they were looking to fill employee needs. They moved some employees around to fill different job functions. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, we know that that was not safe to do. But, um, you know, you'd think that the fact that Columbus Junction's plant had been um, closed down a few days earlier would have been an indication, hey, we need to really make sure this doesn't happen in Waterloo. I feel like even, you know, we have a stronger understanding of it now kind of in retrospect, but I feel like I remember back in March and April, we knew then if you had been exposed to the virus, the best practice would probably be not to go into crowded settings where you could potentially be spreading the virus. So I feel like even then Tyson and the corporation should have kind of 
had an understanding of maybe sending employees from a plant that was shutting down because of so many cases should not be sending them to a different plant to further expose more people, you know? Um, so I feel like, yeah, that, that definitely can't be ignored when we're talking about this because there's definitely that tension between, you know, the, the economic strength and, and the worries about the economy at the time versus kind of the public health crisis we were facing. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like kind of knowing that, um, that that factor definitely can't be ignored. So are we okay with a D on claim two? Yeah, I agree with that. Maybe just kind of for our listeners, I'm curious, um, Aaron, why we landed on a D rather than maybe an F, kind of given everything we've discussed. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, so let's look back at the actual language of her claim. She says, not only did we provide PPE, but we were able to test. Those that were positive were quarantined. I think there's there was some efforts to quarantine employees and let people stay home and still make some of their salaries. Ultimately, some of those provisions were put in place for barriers and staggered break times and that kind of thing. And that may have prevented further employees from getting sick. So I don't think it's completely false. Yeah, I see that kind of kernel of truth, even though there's kind of this large body of evidence here for a mostly false here. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, good deal. So moving on to claim three, in this statement, Governor Reynolds says, we were able to keep our processing plants up and going. And and then she kind of like, it sounds like kind of stumbled over her words a little bit, but she said, and not back up hog production for our producers. And I just like this claim really perplexed me because I thought, how can, how can she say that we were keep, able to keep our processing plants up and going? Because there were so many news reports about these meatpacking plants closing down because of coronavirus outbreaks. And granted, these were not permanent closures. They were closures of maybe a few days to a week. And, you know, our our fact check notes several of these major closures, which, you know, we've talked about Columbus Junction, Waterloo, um, Storm Lake, uh, Tyson pork processing plant closed for several days. Um, And then the Associated Press reported in May of 2020 that even when the plants reopened, a lot of them were only at 80 percent capacity, um, which caused some farmers to have to euthanize hogs that they couldn't sell. So. You know, if Reynolds' claim was that we were able to just, you know, full speed ahead, keep our meat production going, that seems to be false. And so I landed on an F for this claim. Many large meatpacking plants temporarily closed during the pandemic, which had consequences for Iowa farmers of having to euthanize hogs and that kind of thing. And I mean, I don't think it's wrong that these plants closed. I think that was the best way at the time to prevent further spread of the virus and to maybe provide time for sanitation, provide time for plastic barriers to go up. You know, so that was probably the right call for those plants to suspend operations. But I just wonder if Governor Reynolds glossed over all that in her attempt to speak with all these other Republican governors and the, the the theme is, you know, COVID's over, let's get our economy back. But, you know, I, I, I think that that, to me, that claim is false. I'm not sure if we've had a situation in a while where there is so much evidence against and so much ample and very available evidence against a claim that we've checked. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, to me, I was like looking for anything. I mean, I guess I just didn't even know how you could um, look on the other side of it. Right. Was it because like all of the plants weren't closed at the same time they were able, but even then, like just like objectively, like they were not able to keep processing plants open because there were closures. We, we did experience that. So yeah, I'm with you, Erin. I don't know where kind of the, the evidence and support of this comes from. And, you know, to just to, for full disclosure, when we asked the governor's office for sourcing on those claims, I think there was a sense that that there were many numerous news reports that, you know, could uh, corroborate the governor's uh, statements there and that, you know, they felt like we could find adequate resources there. And, you know, we did. We've, we found adequate resources to show that these claims were not accurate. So overall, averaging two D's and an F, I think that earns her a D overall. Are we good with that? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Um, I think you lay it all out nicely, Aaron. There's, you know, both evidence and supportive and again, so I think D, I think D works for the T's and an F. Yeah, I agree as well. I think that's fair considering that there are a couple kind of kernels of truth in this, I mean, in this large chunk of claims here, but overall it is very much the majority is false. Yeah, I would agree that we've found an abundance of evidence, particularly with challenging the governor on that last claim, and even with the second claim, too, to show kind of where she might have strayed from the facts a bit on that. Well, this is a, a good a good discussion, and I'm, I'm glad to um, have it with you guys and also put it out there for our listeners, because listeners, we need your help. We do not have a fact check lined up for next week, and we need you guys to be our eyes and ears out there. Um, Let us know if you see or hear a statement that you think needs to be checked by the fact checker team and email us at factchecker at thegazette.com. That is factchecker at thegazette.com. And these can be um, elected officials, agency heads, uh, people, we even have some people who have already announced they're running for different offices. Um, that puts them in the um, criteria as well for fact checking. So, um, in the meantime, until we see you next time, our fact checker pieces are edited by Craig Jamulis. Our podcast is produced by Stephen Colbert. And our music is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. I'm Aaron Jordan. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm John Steppy, cutting my pie in 11 pieces. I'm Marissa Payne. And we'll fact check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.